Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 57. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 57. The Bible says, And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off into the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses, and he said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it, uh, what is it which these witnesses uh, witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He that he hath spoken blasphemy, what further need, need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffet him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of thy word. Speak to our hearts tonight and get glory and honor. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach out of verse number 58 here in just a moment on this little phrase at the end of the verse that says, To see the end. And whenever you, uh, we come to this passage of Scripture, in verse number 57, uh, what we have here is the arraignment of Christ. As the Bible said that they had laid, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas. And so they have now arrested Jesus just prior to this text, and they're bringing him now before Caiaphas. And we see the arraignment, we see the assembly of the Sanhedrin as they have assembled themselves together, and Jesus is about to have his first religious trial. There is not only the assembly. The Bible says that the high priest where the scribes and the elders uh, were assembled. But then there's the apostle, Peter, in verse number 58. Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace. Now, if you get the setting of this scene here, uh, what we have is, as I said first, uh, of Je this is the first uh, religious trial that Jesus is, is about to have. Now, some believe that Jesus had three religious trials, but uh, definitely he had two religious trials and one civil trial. And as the Bible said, he was taken from prison and unto judgment. Uh, that's a fulfillment of the word of God. But here we find uh, that he is brought before Caiaphas. Now, if you was to enter into this uh, uh, courtroom scene here, what it would look like is that you would pass through a porch and, and through that porch, there would be a gate. And once you got inside the gate there, uh, there, would be a, uh, uh, there would be a raised uh, uh, pavement area uh, that would stand there as a courtroom and once they got inside that courtroom there on the left would be uh, Annas's uh, palace and on the right would be Caiaphas's palace and, and that was the former uh, chief priest and Caiaphas being the present chief priest and, and so Jesus is standing here uh, no doubt in the midst of this courtroom. They brought him in and we find that the apostle Peter is there in verse 58 and what's interesting about verse number 58 is that Peter is living out Psalms 1 and verse number 1 in verse number 58. 
You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, the Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. If you look at verse number 58, Peter follows afar off. He is walking in the counsel definitely of the ungodly. And then the Bible says that he went in and he sat with the servants. Uh, he's standing with, uh, in the way of sinners and he is sitting in the seat of the scornful. These are men that hated Jesus. And the reason they hated Jesus, because Jesus was the embodiment of truth. Amen. Religion is false. Religion cannot save. Religion uh, pre- uh, tells us that we ought to, uh, that we can be good and that we can live by our good works. And Jesus came and he preached the truth. Uh, and the reason they didn't like Jesus and the reason they hated Jesus was because they despised the truth. You know, if you love the truth, you'll love God. Amen. If you hate the truth, you're going to hate God. That's the problem with this crowd in Washington today is they don't love God because they don't love the truth. That's the problem in a lot of churches you go in today. They just want to come in. They want to hear a little sermon at and go on about their business but they don't love the truth. Uh, They just want to come and hear uh, what they want to hear and that's basically what is taking place here in this text. They want to hear what they want to hear. When you think about the trial of Jesus, I I think about Calvary and Calvary in my mind can be seen in three aspects. Uh, There is the trial of Jesus that has a part in Calvary and then there's the tortures of Jesus that is no doubt associated with Calvary and then there is the tree of Jesus, the cross and and that is associated with Calvary. All of these have a part in Jesus going to the cross. When you think about the trials of Jesus, uh, that has to do with us pondering the very place uh, uh, that Jesus was going to. He went from prison and to judgment. The trials represent the place uh, of pondering. And then the tortures of Jesus represent the place of pain. Jesus suffered, as we saw this morning, the punishment of the cross Jesus took our punishment. He was not a criminal, but he died as a criminal because he died for you and he died for me. And so the tortures of Jesus represent the pain of Calvary. And then the tree of Calvary, it represents the pardon of Calvary. When you think about the tree of the Old Testament and the tree of the New Testament, the tree of the Old Testament is that tree of knowledge and of good and of evil. The tree of the New Testament is the old rugged cross. Amen? You take that Old Testament tree. The devil did everything he could to try to get man to partake of that tree, didn't he? That tree of knowledge and good and evil. But that tree of the New Testament, the devil did everything he could to try to keep man from partaking of that tree. You know why that is? Because that first tree in the Old Testament, it brought forth death and judgment. But this tree in the New Testament, it brings forth peace and life everlasting. Amen? You see that first tree? When Adam partook of it, he became a thief and he was led out of paradise. But of, that new, that of the New Testament, that second tree, that tree of life, uh, uh, when the thief on the cross partook of it, the Jesus said unto him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Uh, and all of this uh, has to do with Calvary. When we get to verse number 58, Peter goes in. He sits down with those servants in the Sanhedrin. And the Bible says this, uh, that he sat down for this purpose. Look at verse 58. To see the end. Amen. To see the end. The end of what? I I thought about that when I read it the other day. Peter, you've went in to sit down with the Sanhedrin and these servants here and you're looking at Christ and you're seeing him and he's watching for this purpose. He wants to see the end. But we know that Calvary 
was not the end of Christ. Calvary was not the end of his ministry. Calvary was not the end of his teaching. It was not the end of his preaching. It certainly was not the end of his disciples. Amen. Calvary was not the end of his life. Uh, he died at Calvary and they thought he was gone. But three days later, he got up. He rose again. Calvary was not the end, friend. Calvary was the beginning. Amen. And Calvary is not the end. And so we see that he's come. He sat down to see the end. They're sitting there and they're going to ponder what's going to take place. I preached this morning on Calvary, the place of punishment. And I want to preach tonight on Calvary, the place of pondering. Amen. Because what I want to do in these verses for the next few moments tonight is I want to ponder a few things uh, through the eyes of Peter as he is sitting there and he's watching this mock trial take place. Uh, I want to ponder what, uh, uh, what Peter sees uh, and what takes place. Uh, do you realize tonight that if we'll take the time to ponder Calvary, it'll make a difference in our life. You see, Calvary's not just good for when you get saved. I'm glad Calvary will keep you out of hell. And I'll tell you what Calvary will do. It'll put joy in your heart. Amen. Calvary will help your spiritual life. And a child of God ought to every day, we ought to ponder the cross. We ought to ponder the Christ of the cross. We ought to ponder the things of Calvary. Amen. This morning or this evening, I want you to notice, first of all, the first thing I want to ponder is his perfection. Amen. The Bible says in verse number 59, now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. Amen. The first thing we ponder about Jesus when we think about Calvary is we ponder his perfection. Amen. I mean, though they brought the witnesses in, they couldn't find any fault in him. They couldn't find anything that he had done wrong. Do you realize that if I was standing trial or if you were standing trial and someone was going back through our life and they was examining our life, listen, they wouldn't have to go back too far until they found fault in our life because we're all guilty. We've all come short of the glory of God. That simply means to miss the mark and we've all missed the mark, amen? We've never been everything we ought to be. We've never been everything that we could be. We've never been everything anything, everything that others thought we ought to be. But Jesus had, amen? Jesus had done everything right. Jesus had fulfilled every promise. Uh, Jesus had kept every principle. Jesus had pleased his Father as we said this morning, they found no fault in him. That's what Pilate said when he brought Jesus before him. He examined him. Pilate knew how to examine a man and so did the Sanhedrin. But they come up with the same testimony every single time. I find no fault in this man. Can I tell you, after 30 something years of being saved and living for God, I found a lot of fault in me. There's a lot of fault in the church. There's a lot of fault in people. But I find no fault in Jesus Christ. He is as perfect today as he ever has been, as he ever will be. He is the perfect, sinless son of God. There is no fault in him tonight. You think about people that get out of church and they use the church as their crutch for why they're out. Well, I don't go to church anymore because of so-and-so. Well, I don't go to church anymore because of such-and-such. Can I tell you, we were never supposed to go to church anyway because of so and so. And we were never supposed to go to church anyway because of such and such. 
The next time somebody tells you that, you ought to look at them with all the grace you can and just say, well, you know what? You were going to church for the wrong reasons. If that's why you was going to church, if it was for somebody, well, so-and-so hurt me. I got hurt in church. We've all been hurt in church, amen? If you stay in church, you're gonna get hurt in church, but you gotta keep on going, amen? The church is not perfect. The Bible never says the church will be perfect until we get to the other side, till we meet the bridegroom. But we're not here because of each other. We're here because of him, amen? And the truth is, we got a perfect book. We're sealed with a perfect spirit. We serve a perfect God. We've got a perfect Savior. We're going to a perfect land. Thank God I'm glad tonight we know someone who is. Jesus is perfect, amen. And we ought to ponder his perfection. You know, sometimes the flesh will pump you up. The flesh has a way of making us all think we're better than what we really are. The flesh will tell you good things about yourself and bad things about others. The flesh will say things like this. Now, did you see so-and-so? Did you see Brother Mike Teams? Can you believe Brother Mike Teams did that? I can't believe that about Brother Mike. That's what the flesh will say. But the flesh, you never got to worry about the flesh pointing out your flaws. Amen. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. That's why we need old time preaching because it shows us who we really are. The flesh likes to play the cover up, amen? Do you know what you, listen, what you try to cover, God will uncover and what you uncover, God will cover, amen? If you'll just come clean with God and say, God, I'm not perfect, but you are, then God will cover your sins, amen? But if you try to cover your sins, God's gonna uncover your sins. He that covereth his sin, the Bible said, shall not prosper. What I'm saying tonight, if you're looking for perfection in the pulpit, you're going to be disappointed. And if I'm looking for perfection in the pew, then I'm going to be disappointed. But if we'll all look up to him, if we'll all cast our eyes on him, we'll never be disappointed. Why? Because he's perfect. We ought to ponder his perfection. Amen. We ought to ponder not only his perfection, but look at verse number 61. We ought to ponder his patience. Amen. They bring in two false witnesses. And they cannot find anything about him. And they said in verse number 61, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now, Jesus did not say that. Jesus said, destroy this temple, talking about his body. He never said he would destroy. Jesus is not in the destroying business. And he said, destroy the temple. He said, and I'll build it up in three days. Thus he said, speaking about his body. Isn't that right? But they heard what they wanted to hear. They took his words out of context. Uh, They just like the devil didn't get the full story. And so they accused him and said that he said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, answerest thou nothing? What is it? uh, What is it which these witness against thee? And the Bible Bible said in verse 63, but Jesus held his peace. Jesus remained calm under difficult circumstances. Jesus could have backed every one of them in a corner. He could have, he could have made them speechless. He had done it many times before. But Jesus held his peace. He exercised great patience here. I want to tell you tonight as Christians, we have to exercise patience. 
And the only way I know to exercise patience is to ponder the patience of our Lord. Amen. In this text, you think about that there was flaming angel, angels with flaming swords. Uh, that no doubt, if Jesus would have spoke, they once angel could have annihilated every one of them. I'm sure that all hell or all of heaven of the angelic beings I'm talking about, no doubt, probably stood at attention. No doubt that the anger swelled up in their soul or, or swelled up in their beings uh, as uh, they spit in the face of Jesus Christ but Jesus was patient even in the midst of trials you know what trials will do to us tonight it'll bring out the best of us or it'll bring out the worst of us it's just revealing what's already in our life you see when you and I something happens if you respond in a, in a Christian manner it's because that's what's inside but if you respond in a, in, a, in a, maybe you fly off the handle, that's because that's what's inside. Jesus is standing there. They're falsely accusing him. They're bringing accusations that he knows is not true. He could have stood against them, but he held his peace. You know, the Bible says that even a fool is counted wise when he, held, when he holds his peace. Sometimes we wouldn't know how ignorant some people are if they would just stop talking. Can I get a witness on that? Some people think they're, they're, some people are a running commentary. You know that. They think everything that's said, they've got to add something to it. They don't know how to be quiet. They, they don't know how to, you know, that's a mark of spirituality, the ability to just be silent sometimes. Sometimes people always have an answer. They always have a, a comment. I mean, if I was to get up here tonight and say the, the sky is blue, there's probably somebody that would have to say, well, it's not always blue. <laughs> or if I say, well, Jesus is, he, he's soon coming. Yeah, but he could come at any moment. You see what I'm saying? I mean, people like that just need to learn to be silent. They need to learn 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 12. And that you study. That means learn. To be quiet. To do your own business. And to work with your own hands. You don't always have to say something. You don't always have to add something to something. I'll tell you sometimes I, when I hear people talk, I may have a thought, I may have a comment, but sometimes it's just better that I just keep my mouth shut. Sometimes it's better that I don't say anything. They don't always need my commentary. Can I get an amen right there? I'll also say this. I don't always feel like I'm, I've got the right to say something. I was taught as a young preacher, and I'm not just talking to preachers. When you get around older preachers, be quiet. Let them do that. I get around Brother Blue and Brother Sammy, I didn't have nothing to say. One time Brother Blue, he asked me a question. He said, when Elijah... He said, when Elijah went up in that whirlwind, he asked me this about probably four years before he passed away, and he asked me three times. He said, when Elijah went up into heaven, uh, when that whirlwind took him up into heaven, he said, right before that, he said, him and Elijah said they crossed over the Jordan back into the wilderness. He said, now, why do you think that the Lord took Elijah up on that side of the Jordan? Why didn't he, he lived a victorious life, so why did he go up in Canaan? And he, he said, why do you think that happened? I said, Brother Blue, you're asking me. I said, I don't have an answer. So a little bit of time went by, and, and I saw him again. He said, why do, you, why do you think that happened? I said, I don't know. I said, if you don't know, I sure don't know. Even if I did know, which I didn't, I wasn't going to give him an answer. He was my elder. 
One day I was reading my Bible about a, it's probably been seven or eight months ago and I come to that text and boy, I mean, just as I read that text, I mean, just, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, because Elisha had to cross Jordan by himself, every man has to have their own crossing. He couldn't ride Elijah's coattail. So Elijah's last ministry was to take Elisha back over that brook so that, and he went back up. It was his last thing he did was he took that one that had served him and been beside him. He took him back across that Jordan and Elijah and went down there and he took that mantle and for himself, by himself, he had to believe God just like his, uh, just like the one that went before him and he smote them waters and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he had to make his own crossing. You see, you have to have your own crossing. You gotta be filled with the Holy Spirit yourself. And I read that and it just jumped off the page. I said, Lord, why couldn't you show me that? <laughs> While Brother Blue was living, I would have loved to have went and said that to him and seen what he thought about it. I said, God, please tell him that. <laughs> but you don't always have to have a comment. As a young person, you'll do well just to be quiet. Just hold your tongue. The patience of our Lord. I'll tell you when it's the hardest and it's in this context is when people are falsely accusing you. When people are saying things about you that you know is not true. Can I tell you tonight as a Christian, there's gonna always be somebody say something about you. You can't retaliate. You can't defend. If Jesus saw the importance of, of not saying it wasn't the will of God for him to defend himself, so he just let them keep on talking. Sometimes people may criticize us as Christians. They may say things about us. They, they may, maybe somebody on the job. Maybe it's a family member. I don't know. But you hear some, some critical comment about your faith in Christ. Uh, you just got to keep on going. Keep on being faithful. Hold your peace and be steady. Amen. Take a stand when it's time to take a stand. But learn uh, to exercise exercise, ponder his patience, and then ponder his promise. Look what he said in verse number 63. But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Rather than try to retaliate, Jesus just gave them a promise. You know, tonight, if you and I will just exercise patience, we can see the promises of God. Jesus gave the promise that, that one day he would come back, that he would be at the right hand of the Father. Every bit of that is true. Every bit of that is coming to pass. I want to tell you tonight, he is at the right hand of the Father right now, and he is going to come back. And three days after his death, he did get up out of the grave. He did resurrect that temple of God, talking about this body. He rose from the dead. Jesus kept his promise. He always has kept his promise. And thank God he always will keep his promises. You know, tonight we ought to cling to the promises of God. We ought to memorize them. We ought to know them. We ought to study them. We ought to live by them. We ought to teach them to our children. Young people tonight live by the promises of God. Cling to him, trust him tonight. Just like Jesus made a promise, this crowd didn't believe that promise. But you and I tonight as Christians, we believe the promises of God. We must trust him. As Brother Hayden said just a few moments ago, that sometimes the will of God doesn't always look like the will of God. It doesn't always make sense. But if we'll just trust the promises of God and if we'll just do what we're supposed to do, God will keep his promise. It may not happen on our timetable. It may not happen the way that we want it to, uh, to happen but rest assured God will be faithful in the end uh, he will do what he said he would do he will keep his promise tonight 
If you're here and you're praying for a mate, stay faithful to God. He'll keep his promise. If you're here tonight and you're seeking the will of God, just stay faithful. God will show his will at the appointed time. Believe his promise. There's something tonight that I know on three different occasions the Lord has opened the scriptures and, and gave me three different verses about and he said this is, and I believe it to be the will of God. I don't think God would have kept showing me that verse and showing me a different verse and, and three different times God has proven that verse uh, or proven a verse that I say, say to me, uh, saying just keep on trusting, just keep on trusting. No, it's not happening right now, but it will happen. Just trust my word, just trust my promise promise. You know tonight, the promises of God will not fail. The promises of God will not falter. This flesh will let you down. Man will let you down. But God's promises are sure tonight. I say tonight, we ought to ponder His promise. You want to think yourself happy? Just start counting some of the promises of God. The promise of salvation. The promise of security. The promise of the scriptures. The promise of, of the second coming. Promise after promise after promise. Amen. We can look all through the, the scriptures. Ponder his promises. And then I want to say tonight, prom, uh, uh, ponder his persecution. Notice the Bible says, then the high priest, look at verse 65, rent his clothes, saying he has spoken blasphemy. What further need we have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. You know, that's an important verse tonight, and I'll tell you why. Because the high priest rent his garment, that high priestly garment. To the high priest here, Caiaphas, it was a sinful act. It was an act against Christ. In the, eye, in the, in the hands of man, this was a sinful act. But in the eyes and the hands of God, it was a sovereign act. You say, why, preacher? Because God was getting Christ ready for the cross. And when this priest rent this garment, he didn't know this, but that garment, listen, he thought that was just his own way and his own will. But when he rent that garment, that was God's way and that was God's will because God knew that the sacrificial lamb was about to be slain at Calvary and these garments wasn't gonna be needed no more. They wouldn't need another high priest and God knew that he rent his garments now. But just a few hours later, God with the fingers of eternity was gonna rent the veil from the top to bottom and Jesus Christ our great high priest was going into the holy place you wouldn't need the high priest the chief priest anymore you wouldn't need that veil anymore because there was going to be a new way a new and living way and Jesus Christ our high priest is all that we would ever need we wouldn't need the Old Testament economy no more the Old Testament would be fulfilled and that economy would be done away with and thank God there's a better way because there's a better sacrifice and there's a better hope and there's a better salvation because there's a better redemption for those of us in the New Testament. Hallelujah. And this is the beginning of the persecution of Christ. Notice in verse number 66, they said, what think ye? They answered and said, he's guilty of death. And look at verse 67. Then did they spit in his face and buffet him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. You know, I cannot even fathom this verse tonight. That these men, I'll remind you, these were religious men. They were not sinning against darkness. Brother Danny, they were sinning against light. If you take the Gospels in itself, it is written within less than 40 days. The days of the Gospel are, do not even come to 40 days. Day by day. 
Just little of what we read in less than 40 days is enough for us to believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. They had saw a three and a half year ministry of our Lord. They had heard the preaching of John the Baptist, this crowd. They had went out to the riverside and saw John as he was baptizing. They saw Jesus as he was baptized. They, they saw the miracles. They, they saw all the, the things. They, they stood at the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus cried, Lazarus, come forth. They had heard of all the, the messages, the Sermon on the Mount. This is a crowd that, my friend, they knew who Jesus was. For Jesus performed messianic miracles. There was miracles that Jesus performed that only Messiah could perform. And this crowd knew that whenever these things, these miracles would take place, the only one that would be able to do that would be Messiah. They knew who he was, but they hated him anyway. And the Bible says that they spit in his face. They buffeted him. They smote him with the palms of their hands. It's a very harsh trial. They said, prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? You know, Jesus knew every person that smote him. And he never prayed judgment on them. But he prayed, Father, forgive them. You think about this tonight. If someone was to walk up to me or you and, and smack you just across the face, I want to tell you tonight, it doesn't matter who we are, that flesh. The first instinct with that flesh would be to ball that fist up. It would be to respond in a way they smote our Lord. Can you imagine the grace and the humility of Jesus to stand there and to take one smack after another? They stood there and they, can you imagine if somebody was to walk up and spit in your face? I mean, that old Adamic nature would rise up. Jesus stood there like a lamb. He stood there. The humility of our Savior. The Bible said he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What humility. I think tonight as a Christian, oh Lord, help me tonight. If there's anything that I know that I need more of, it's humility. It's humility. We live in an egotistic society. America has been blessed by God, but we're living in a time when People feel so entitled and, and they have become so emboldened in this hour. And sad to say many are doing everything they can to, to push that emboldenment even more. But I'll tell you, the Bible teaches just the opposite of that. We're to be humble. The Bible said we're to be clothed with humility. Can I tell you something about humility? It doesn't come natural for us. We have to practice humility. Isn't that right? We have to put it into practice. And what that means uh, is that we have to remind ourselves... We have to remind this flesh who it is. We have to remind ourselves who he is. We have to remind ourselves that humility is an important part of our life. If we're going to be like Jesus, we have to be humble tonight. To be humble goes against the flesh. The Bible said, look every man also. Look not every man on his own things, Philippians 2. But every man also on the things of others. That means that I ought to strive to be number two. Number three, number four, to not be number one. If God puts you in a place of position or authority, you have to be very careful in that place. 
If you're given a title, you ought to remember that titles only mean one thing. It defines the responsibility that's been placed upon you. A title is nothing to parade around as a badge. Can I get a witness on that? You've all seen people on the job that they get a little bit of authority and their head blows up the size of Kansas or Texas. And it's not that they can't do the job, but they can't handle the authority. In church, a lot of times, and I thank God, I don't, I don't, I don't sense an ounce of this in this church right now, but I have seen it before. People get a little recognition or something or a title and they don't understand around here that it don't mean anything. Can I get an amen? amen? Titles mean nothing in this church. I don't mean that in the sense of testimony, but there's no big eyes and little use. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. I mean, titles just mean, everybody's got a title, amen? I mean, if you plunge the toilet, Brother Chris Thomas, you got a title. At Jubilee. I mean, you got a title. He said, well, I, you might be here tonight. I said, well, I don't plunge toilets. Uh, uh, bless God, I, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Your title's no more important than plunging a toilet. Preacher tonight the same, pastor the same. It's a responsibility. You say, why is that so important? Keep us in our place. I'm preaching, hey, to keep this, to keep this person in our place tonight. God blesses humility. Young people stay humble. Learn to take advice. And I think you have, but keep on. When you get older, when you start getting old enough to make your own decisions, remember this. Take advice. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. I tell you tonight, Brother Charles Roach was such a blessing, wasn't he? Every deacon's been a blessing to me. I reckon Brother Charles has a special place because when I came here, I was so young and, and dumb. And I remember when I came to this church, I thought to myself, this is my prayer. I said, Lord, please don't let me do something ignorant and let them see it. And I know I did. But God gave me Brother Roach. Brother Laddie, you've been, you've been a great inspiration and helped me in that same way. But when I came here, Brother Roach, just to put it lightly, he had influence I didn't have when I came here. Brother Charles never one time told me how to do anything. Not one time. And if he would have, I'd probably have done it. But he never told me one time how to do it, that you ought to do this or that. But I can't tell the times I went to him and I said, Brother Charles, I'm thinking about doing this and I really value your opinion and your prayers. Could you help me with this? Sometimes he would just tell me things. I value that young people. I valued it so much that I probably leaned on him longer than I should have. I think about the men in our church, the deacons. I can't tell you the times we've sat around the table. I said, fellas, I need your prayers and I need to, I need to hear what you think about this. You never get to the place that you don't need the the help of others. Right. Now I'll tell you, when you get to a place where you think I'm my own man, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm my own lady, I'm going to make my own decisions, I promise you tonight you'll make the wrong decision every time. Right. I know at the end of the day you have to make the final decision, but counselors are always a blessing tonight. I want to say this in closing. It's just a form of humility. The will of God so many times can be found by just getting on your knees and saying, Lord, I don't know, but you do know. And I'll wait if you'll just tell me. Humility tonight, Jesus 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he stood in the presence of sinful men. He took the persecution, he took the pain, and he took the suffering. We ought to ponder that tonight. We'll face persecution in this life, but no persecution that we'll ever face will ever match or compare to the persecution that our Lord went through. And as we stand tonight, as our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, if you need to use the altar, would you mind God? Lord, help me. Help me to ponder his promises. Help me to ponder his humility. Lord, help me to ponder tonight uh, the things. Help me to look at Christ. Tonight, that, that's, really, that's really what being a Christian is about, keeping your eyes on him and viewing him tonight. Brother David's going to lead us in this song, and if you need to use this altar, I want you to do that tonight. What page are we going to sing? 330. 330. If you'll get a songbook and sing with us tonight, if you need to come while we sing, would you come?